Jan, we are back. We've got a full studio. Oh, isn't it wonderful? It's so exciting. many people, so many books, so Jan, much happening. You're well travelled, aren't you? Oh, a little bit well travelled. In fact, you're disappearing. I'm going uh, to shortly. Morocco in a couple of weeks. Morocco, but mm. have you ever been to Rome? Ah, <gasps> oh, three coins in the fountain. <laughs> So we, we could, all of a sudden, everybody's got an impression about Rome. Kat, have you got an impression? This is Jan's guest, Kat. Hi. Have you got a, an impression about Rome? About what I think it's like. Yeah. Like uh, pasta and risotto and... Have Chianti, you been to like, Rome? Yeah, Chianti. I have been to Rome, so I'm cheating, actually. No, not I a worry. exactly what it looks because like. Because <laughs> my guest today has been to Rome and has written a novel. You'd think it was a, an instruction booklet in terms of the title, but it is in fact a novel entitled The Lover's Guide to Rome. The author is Mark Lamprell. So, Mark, welcome to 3CR. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. The City of Love. What's the general impression about Rome? Well, uh, I first went to Rome uh, about 15 years ago, actually. Um, uh, I was there for... I'd made a movie called My Mother Frank and it opened a, a film festival... Uh, in, in Rome. And uh, the film festival was run on an island in the Tiber that runs through the river that runs through Rome. And we wait, it was a sort of summer's evening, and we waited for the light to go down, and it was about 10 o'clock at night. And I was standing on this stage ready to introduce the film with a very young Megan Gale. And at that stage, Megan Gale had just done a telecom ad in uh, Italy, and she was all the rage in Italy. And it appeared that all of Rome had shown up. I thought to see my film, but actually learnt fairly quickly that they'd shown up to see Megan Gale. We literally got up on stage and I, I could see sort of the, the crowd sitting in front of me and then I could see people on the edges of, of the river on, on the mainland of Rome itself and they were all chanting, Megan, 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 Megan. We stood there for about 10 minutes and, and in that 10 minutes it dawned on me, nobody's come to see your film, kid. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's come to see Megan Gale. But I, as I stood there with this extraordinary experience and this chanting coming, I was able to look through that magic light with the river rushing around me and this ancient city all around me and I just thought, this, these people are crazy and I love them and this city is magical and I'm going to come back. And so I did a number of times. And, uh, you know, it's anybody that revisits Rome or even visits Rome, I think, cannot fail to be enchanted by it. Well, the uh, book, the novel begins, the prologue, Let Me Tell You About Rome. My beloved Roma, so ancient she is called eternal, the city that has always been and will always be. Assured of her own magnificence, her venerable significance, she does not seek comparison, and yet I find it almost impossible not to compare her. It's almost a living entity that you've got here. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Rome for me sort of has that kind of, that life and that vigour. It feels like a, it has a personality completely. And I guess that's from the fact that we of the West really come out of Rome in so many ways, culturally and musically and architecturally and in terms of art. And uh, so uh, for me, there's sort of almost, there's a, there's a kind of a Rome as mother of us culturally. Uh, uh, well, you've got now three sets of couples. Uh, we can't sort of divulge too much, but they're sort of representative of different ages and eras. So uh, Alice and August, Lizzie and Constance, Meg and Alec. What can you tell us about those three couples? So basically it's, it's a young couple, uh, a middle-aged couple and an older couple. The young couple we follow through Rome on the day that they meet and fall truly, madly, deeply in love. And they're backpackers, And basically. they're backpackers, basically. The middle-aged couple are 
completely in crisis and they've been in a 20-year marriage and they just don't know whether they want to continue on or what they want to do. And then the older couple, he in fact has just died. She's brought his ashes back to Rome to scatter in the Tiber with his sister. And so it's two old ladies and this bag of ashes that they... Could we describe... Well, love in terms of uh, the two old ladies, Lizzie and Constance, would, would that be too much in terms of their understanding of each other or not? Yeah, no, I mean, I think they... Uh, it, Love, of course, is many things, and I guess that's what the, the book is about in many ways. And so it's 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 about the the love that Constance had for her husband, but it's also about the love that Lizzie has, Lizzie and Constance have for each other, and the way that they love each other, love yeah, and support yeah. each other. Yeah. Um, but even so, they're making discoveries uh, even at that age uh, about themselves and about Rome. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Um, that to me is the surprising thing about Rome. Every time I go there, I'm somehow refreshed by it. You know, something extraordinary and surprising happens and I find it refreshing. And this is indeed what happens to Lizzie and Constance. And um, Lizzie, who has lived her entire life with never having met the great love of her life, at the very end of the book... Well, actually, I'm not going to tell you. You can't, you can't tell us too much. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> yeah. Good well, things happen. Good, well, good things happen all around, but not necessarily in ways uh, you imagine yeah. uh, sort of thing. Um, but perhaps uh, people would be able to identify with it, um, etc. But this leads on to the notion of Rome being a character in many ways. And if you'll pardon me, this is a, a slightly longer passage, but it might give you a sense of the uh, dimension we're seeing in Rome. Uh, Alec has actually ended up in hospital at one stage. But then we get this description. The seventh and final king of Rome, Lucius Tarquinius Superbus, reigned from 535 BCE until the revolution in 509 BCE. In the process of manoeuvring himself to power, he had arranged the murder of his predecessor, his brother and his wife. He was a tyrant so despised by his people that they established the Roman Republic, intending never to be ruled by his like again. Ha. Historians will tell you that the king fled Rome and lived comfortably in exile in the court of Aristodemus of Cumae where he died in 495 BCE. I will tell you what really happened. Tarquinius tripped down the steps of the temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus, fleeing a mob of angry Romans and broke his neck. Despite the fact that he'd, he was already dead, they gave his body a thorough beating, dragged it across the city and hurled it into the Tiber. In time, debris and silt accumulated around his dead highness and formed the foundation of what would become the Isola Tiberina. As it grew, the story of Tarquinius slipped into the mist, merging with myth and legend. But because of the darkness associated with its founding events, Romans avoided the island. When a plague ravaged Rome in 293 BCE, the authorities used the island to isolate the contagiously ill, but it quickly overflowed with the sick and dying. Running out of room, the Roman senators consulted the Tibetine Sibyl, who suggested they enlist the help of Aesculapius, the Greek god of healing and medicine, by building a temple in his honour. All agreed that this was the most practicable solution. The plague passed, the temple was constructed, and the island began to forge a new identity as a palace, oh, as a place of healing. In 998, the emperor Otto III built a basilica on the ruins of Aesculapius' temple, and in 1584, Pope Gregory XIII called the Hospitaller Order of St. John of God to Rome and asked them to run the Hospital of St. John 
Calibita there upstream from the Basilica. More than half a millennium service later, it is still known as the Ospedale Fata Bene Fratelli. This cracks me up. It's not so funny in Italiano, but when you translate it into English, it's the hospital of the do-good brothers. (laughs) But it's the layering here that, that gets me. It's not necessarily important to the story in its but it's all of those dimensions that are that exist in Rome the character of Rome yes um, is that what fascinates you about yeah well in fact the story that I told earlier about standing on that stage in Rome it was in front of that hospital in fact they 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 uh, screen the movies on the wall of that hospital that's exactly where I was sort of standing um, but yes, it's it's the character of Rome. That I, it, what strikes you about Rome is the way that Romans live in their history. The, the last time I lived in Rome, I was there for four months, and uh, just in the wall of the hardware store below my apartment, there's a plaque that, when translated from the um, Latin, is "I Claudius declare this to be the outermost limit, uh, outermost limit of the city of Rome." It's just there in the wall, with you know, there are wheelbarrows, sort of underneath it for sale. It's completely unremarkable. Romans wander around their city in this in this amazing history. And so I wanted to weave that into the story as much as possible and travel back to the beginnings of things and then bring it through to the contemporary story. Well, all of these characters are in some way uh, touching on that history, that myth. Nothing is really, um, well, because it has become myth, nothing is ever certain or uh, concrete. It's just part of the atmosphere. Even the architecture, you've got um, uh, August uh, as an architecture student, uh, knowing so much about the architecture so we can get the feel of that going through there. And the pillars in uh, that all line up in the up Vatican. In yeah. the Vatican, yeah, yeah. What happens there? Yeah, well, that's it's it's an extraordinary moment that you can have in the Vatican when you when you walk into the the at the front of the the forecourt of the Vatican. It has it's surrounded by these two kind of curved columns of pillars, and when you stand in in various points in the in the uh, courtyard in front of it, and you look, it looks like there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of pillars fairly chaotically gathered around you. But if you stand in in a particular point in the ellipse all of the, suddenly, all of the columns line up. And so out of this incredible chaos, this amazing mathematical order happens. And it's it's the most thrilling kind of thing to do, to see, and to think that the architect thought this moment through to provide for people. Um, uh, and so it's just one of those sort of magical things that Rome offers. You know? Well, I'm just wondering if you use that deliberately as a symbol or as just an event, because we do have a symbol here of something that permeates the entire novel, and that's a tile. Um, so that um, order to chaos might be one way of looking at the love uh, or the relationships that occur. But you also have a tile yeah. that links everything together. What yeah. have you got there? Well, the tile is is everybody's, all three couples come into touch with this one particular blue tile. And I su- suppose for me it's, it's many things. Um, it, it represents the physicalisation of the character of Rome who is telling this story. But it's also uh, kind of a metaphor for um, that which can appear incredibly ordinary and mundane is actually amazingly important. Uh, well, just on that point, if you'll excuse me again, I'm going to a shorter reading this time. Horatio was correct. It had been made because he's 
Horatio's the uh, tile maker, and he's been given a tile by... Um, Meg. Meg, yes. Horatio was correct. It had been made in 1906 by one of his predecessors, Giuseppe Rizzi. Giuseppe had a knack for the unusual, and Horatio recognised his work. The glaze was obviously made from cobalt, but with boron or bar barium as well, he guessed, and possibly even a touch of copper oxide. Turning it over, he was surprised by what he saw. The base, you see, is most unusual. Not red terracotta, but white mostly, like the sand, he said. And the glaze is very thick with not much pigment. No colour, you know. No colour, said Meg. This special blue comes mostly because she is deep, said Horatio, like the ocean. When he turned to Meg and Alec, he could see they were not following him. He told them to wait. He disappeared, then reappeared with a beaker of water, presenting it for inspection. What colour is she? No colour, it's clear, said Meg. But what colour is the water in the Mediterranean, he said. Blue, this blue, she, point, she said, pointing to the tile. It appears to be blue, he said, enjoying his role as tutor. The water herself filters out the other colours, but the blue remains. The blue light travels down and reflects off the white sand. The waves of light dance with the waves of the ocean. They are in a marriage, you see, of light and form. Alec picked up the tile and looked across the edge of it. And here, in this humble tile, one of my forebears has recreated this marriage most magnificently, Horatio continued. Alec smiled. You are a poet, signor, he said. The tile becomes a symbol of the depth in relationships in the city. Deliberate? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's, about, uh, it's about the many, many layers of, of, uh, of relationships, really. Um, and it also, it also becomes a symbol of the storyteller itself. It's, it's the, uh, um, the voice of Rome that is the storytelling voice. Is, I sort of got it from the idea that the ancients had that um, genius was never apportioned to the self. The, the notion of genius was something that sort of really didn't appear to the Renaissance. Um, when you when you heard artists like Michelangelo being being uh, assigned the thing of uh, they are a genius before that you were visited by genius the notion was that the genius was a spirit that lived in the walls or the floors or the tiles around you um, and our genius the storytelling genius lives in in this particular tile but it wasn't till sort of really yeah, about after Michelangelo, that we began to apportion the notion of gen people being genius. Before that, you were simply visited by genius, and you were either lucky or you weren't, you know. Uh, and um, so I love that idea. So I wanted to kind of create a genius of love who either visited people or didn't, and they were either lucky or they weren't. So that, that's sort of kind of where that notion of the storytelling voice came from, out of the tile, that very ancient idea of a genius not being within anybody, but actually just being a spirit that's around, that visits you. Mm. Well, we can't give too much away, but the tile actually unites all three couples. Uh, part of the initial imperative is with um, uh, Meg and Alec trying to trace the tile they have because they're renovating and they're going to do it in a day. Visit Ryan yeah. from America in a day, etc. But all the others come in touch with the tile as well. So was that difficult to weave into the story with all of these threads going? How yeah, because there's yeah. I mean, when you you know when you've got a narrative with a whole lot of threads and you've kind of got to you know keep track of where what everybody's doing and where they are. Yes, it can be tricky, kind of making those things uh, work. And I, you know, found myself constantly going back now, where are they? Where's the tile? What's, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you know, you, you, you just, you know, shuffle back and forth and eventually make it work. Yeah. Mm. You've also mentioned the style, the narrative voice, because Rome 
is a character. The boy took the photo, Alice handed him the two euro, and this time he accepted it. Without a word, he scooted off. He was, of course, acting on my behalf. If ever you encounter a scruffy boy in Roma who wants to take your photo, do be kind to him. He's more than likely engaged in very important work. And this little comment's in parentheses. It's the voice of uh, the narrator, Rome. Yeah. What gave the you that? The spirit of Rome. The spirit of Rome. Yeah. Um, where, where's... Mark Lamprell as the author, where's the spirit of Rome as the author? What's going on here? Well, I think uh, sitting in Rome, I mean, the, the way I wrote this book was we, I'd, I'd sort of rented an apartment to, to write in Rome. And um, uh, it was a very dark and cold apartment. I was complaining to my, one of my friends who, who's a makeup artist in Rome. Uh, and she said, borrow my little folding makeup stool and go and sit in the piazza in the light. Um, and, you know, right out there. And I was like, great idea. So I kind of went and started to write just with my laptop. I would sort of sit in the piazza. And then I thought, hang on a moment, I'm actually telling this story around Rome. So I should go out into the, the locations and sit. So I then began to actually sit in the places where I was sending my characters. And that's where I would write each day. So I, I would go and just spend the day on my little folding stool out there writing. And doing that, I was kind of, I felt like I was being visited by some spirit of Rome. And so that's why... For me, that's how the idea of the storytelling voice came. Really. And it's also not necessarily a safe place because you've got the gypsy community yeah. and all of these other things yeah. going on as well. Yeah, it, that's true. And it's certainly not, well, you know, various things happen with the gypsy community in the in the novel. Um, and, you know, and indeed, I think we've probably all been almost pickpocketed, if not pickpocketed in Rome. But um, uh, actually, it is a very safe city, you know, like in terms of actually just wandering around it. I, I, I never, there, like in all cities, there are places where you don't go. But I feel like Rome, because everybody lives everywhere, you know, you just have to shout and sort of, 30 Romans will appear, you know, so it's... You talked about the narrative voice then of um, the spirit of Rome, but what about the style? This is the last question before we move on to Jan. The style of um, your approach, poetic, would you say? Um, yeah, I try to write musically, really. Uh, I think uh, when, I, when I'm writing, I, I almost think that I'm... Uh, I think of myself as composing so that I think about how a reader will come to the language and um, whether it's whether it flows elegantly or beautifully and what the highs and lows are. So I almost think of it as a musical score as, as much as I, I do a manuscript. An elegant novel of love in Rome, The Lover's Guide to Rome, Mark Lamprell, and it's an Alan and Unwin publication. Thank you, Mark. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, with all that chat about Rome, you know, one thing that wasn't mentioned, cats. Cats. <laughs> Which is funny because, in fact, in Rome, there's this sanctuary called the Lago Argentina where all the Romans take their cats and, uh, uh, and it's like it's an old ruin. But there's a whole in the centre of Rome, these amazing cats everywhere around the Lago Argentina. It's this old ruin and it's fenced off and people come and bring food and take care of the cats. But there would be, you know, hundreds and hundreds of cats yeah. in this one area. It's oh, quite fantastic. Like, yeah, yeah. Sounds good. Well, so there's in the world there's cat people and there's dog people. But I want to talk to Cat Patrick this morning. <laughs> and what kind of person are you, Cat? That is a complicated question that I get asked too often now. I'm both. So I actually am a dog person and a cat person. But I think you get very different things from a dog and a cat. Well, in your book, there's really only one character. There is, yeah. And who is that? That is Doodle Cat. Yeah. Doodle Cat. No, I'm just wondering, listening to your um, accent, whether Doodle Cat could be Roman, could be English or from the UK, could be New Zealand or, or oh, Aussie. He can, I think he can be whoever he wants to be. That's a good thing. He's changeable. He's pretty 
um, pretty changeable guy. Well, Doodle Cat isn't much more than a red outline or a splot with <laughs> uh, black doodling for a face. So I Am Doodle Cat by Cat Patrick is a picture storybook. Who did the illustrations? Uh, Lauren Marriott, a very talented girl. Absolutely. In any cat book, you would expect the drawing of that cat with its legs stuck up in the air, licking itself, and I wasn't disappointed. (laughs) Baths are one of the things Doodle Cat loves. Other typical cat loves are trees and stars and oceans and friends, but then there are surprise (laughs) loves, like from Doodle Cat. Doodle Cat loves maths. He does love maths, yeah. Yeah, there are lots of things worth counting when you're a cat, like dead birds and worming tablets um, and bits of thread, uh, cat treats. Yeah, we've, we figured that probably um, most cats were, were math people, I think. They're pretty discerning, so it well, makes sense. Uh, 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 thankfully, <laughs> this book has taught me about fractals. Yes. Yeah. Fractals. That was a, a left field one for parents when they were reading. We kind of liked the idea of that page appearing out of nowhere. There is a there is a definition in the back of the book, though. There is. Yeah, spoiler alert. And <laughs> Doodle Cat particularly loves lentils. Yes. But what are the after effects of lentil eating? That it's uh, uh, farts. That would be, that's, yeah. That would be. Yeah, that's that the thing be. that happens after you eat lentils, yeah. yeah. So luckily, he loves those too, though, so. And there's actually, in the back of the book, there's more inf- information about farts yes, too, there isn't is. there? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's important to learn about mm-hmm. what's funny. Doodle Cat, <laughs> Doodle Cat loves differences. Yes. And that's actually quite nice in this day and age. So, yeah. but even his friend is quite different. Which which friend? He's got a couple of friends. A, a pangolin. A pangolin, yeah. That's that's a very special friend. A mammal with scales, which yeah. I learned about from the back of the, the book. The back of the book, yeah. The all important <laughs> back of the book. Yeah, we like to all to stay a mystery until you get to the very back two pages and you can figure it all out. Save as googling it on your iPhone. Yeah. Well, look, just recently there's been a, a research done on how reading books to kids just increases their vocabulary. Yeah. Well, vocabulary yeah. of kids, adults, fractals, fractals. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Parents and kids. So, um, well, this book would actually lead them into discussion too. Yeah, yeah, How? absolutely. Well, I'm, I think that's why we made the choice to keep all the definitions for the slightly more complicated things and the silly things, because both are as important as each other, um, at the back of the book. So there was, you know, giving the kids a chance to pause and go, hey, mum, what's a fractal? And then the panic expression on a mum's face as she goes, ah. Um, but it's good. I think it's it's kind of like a leveller. I like that idea. Um, it, it's like it's all silly as well as having the chance to be smart too which is good I think that's what Mm. being a kid is about maybe also open questions to kids are good yeah and you finish the the book with a question yeah a very important question what is it Uh, what do you love what do you love because we've just gone all through what Doodle Cat loves yeah so it's not much so much a a, a cat story it's more a litany of lists I read about it it. and I thought that was a (laughs) lovely way a litany of lists (laughs) So you had this idea. Mm-hmm. Now, just tell me how, how what happened. You, you just sort of said, "I'm going to take this litany of lists to a publisher." Oh no, we had uh, Doodle Cat arrived first. So uh-huh. uh, Laura and I met each other and decided that we we both wanted to write a kids' book for a very long time, and we were kind of creative kindred spirits, I guess. Um, and so we set about trying to figure out the kind of book we'd like to write and who that character would be. And I met actually in the beginning of the book. There's a dedication to a kid called Molly. Um, who's one of the smartest ten-year-olds I know, and we were. Did she know what a fractal was? She does now. <laughs> <laughs> but we were um, doodling and hanging out, which I think is a really excellent way for kids to kind of have a silly amount of expression time, I guess. And she drew this really angry, scribbly red cat who I fell in love with, who was named after a cat that I live with called Ashley. Um, 
and she was obsessed with this cat and and together we kind of evolved uh, a character out of him and then he kind of stuck around and Lauren and I realized that probably that was the guy that was going to see us through our kids book so he came first and then what he loved kind of followed well, what I love about this, it's one of our publishers here, Scribe, has actually now taken this book on mm-hmm. to be the first of its new imprint of kids' books. Yeah, it's very exciting. It yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So it's a very UK writer, oh, a New Zealand um, yeah. uh, illustrator and uh, an Australian publisher. Yeah, it's very exciting. It's very overwhelming, yeah. It's still a little bit It's surreal. being launched tonight at the Little Book Room. It is, yes. It's just to, if, if you're a parent listening and you've got a, a younger kid or you want to know what a fractual is. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll hold it. We'll keep it secret until then. Find out tonight. <laughs> now, Cat Patrick, um, you're a con- contributor to Denison navigator oh wow yes a lot yeah well, uh, a couple of years ago now but yeah what's that it was a uh, they're like a lifestyle um magazine from new zealand and i used to do some travel writing bits and bobs for them back in the i, I freelance write as well so that you'll if you google me a few different things will come up <laughs> oh i thought that one was interesting yeah. now back to the book yes. this book won the new zealand award for best design children's book and uh at the shortlisting for the Australian Book Design Awards are now up on um, on the computer. So if anybody is interested in that, and it is quite interesting, uh, abda.com.au, and there's a lot of books listed, and there's eight books in the fiction area, David, and two of them have been on the program, but I don't know whether you would have noticed the covers of either of these. No. Uh Skin by Ilka Temke. I remember. Yeah. yeah. And Hope Farm by Peggy Frew. Yeah. Which is a hippie commune one. So mm. there's a lot of grass involved with that and a lot of <laughs> tattoos <laughs> with um, skin. Anyway, so that's that's really the book uh, I was speaking about with Cat Patrick, I Am Doodle Cat by Scribe and Scribble. That's, that's, that's the... Uh, yes. That's a lovely... It's perfect for Doodle Cat, yeah. <laughs> it is. Scribble for Doodle Cat and the new Scribe imprint. Yeah. Sounds like a bit of a so, doddle. Yeah, a bit. <laughs> so, Cat, in between journal writing and kids' books, what, mm. what other type of... You say you do articles, but what kind of articles? Ooh, uh, I write about everything, just about... A lot of um, women's writing, so a lot about feminism, um, a lot of pop culture. Uh, I read a lot, so I used to do a lot of literary journalism back in the day as well. Um, yeah, if you, you know, I'll, I'll write it if you bring it up. I'll, I'll give it my best shot, <laughs> like all good freelancers. <laughs> um, I don't know whether you just caught up on the recently awarded Stella Prize. Oh, I, I, I haven't, but I did see the headline pop up on Daily Life the other day. But very exciting. I think it's been due for a while to that specific author. Charlotte Wood? Yeah. Very controversial, the natural way of things. Very. Oh, maybe yeah. it's not the one I'm thinking of. Ooh, maybe I'll I'm have wrong. to investigate later. Ooh. <laughs> Yes, very controversial. So, that's we've done cats, we've done Rome. Where else shall we go? We're, we've done cats in Rome, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, we've come full circle. Oh, that's, a, that's a real Venn diagram of yeah, a, a thing. Maybe yeah. Doodle Cat goes to Rome then. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, the, the uh, notion of discovering a place, Doodle Cat could go almost anywhere. Yeah, really. as long as they have lentils and plenty of fractals, I guess, yeah. Right. And just one little fact. I th- we should let this out. The I hope you're not talking farts. Here. Yes. Uh, you're going to let this The fartiest animal in the world. What do you think? Uh, a bovine, uh, something of the bovine, cows? No? I suppose you said creature, the fartiest creature. 
Oh, okay. Creature. Yeah. Is, is this that's some a, that's particular a knowledge you know, Sam? Right yeah, no, well, they're all I need the back of Doodle Cat quite clearly to... <laughs> Um, I think we need I'm to keep. A, this. I think we need to keep away from the back of Doodle Cat. <laughs> no, 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 it's the back of termites. You have to worry about them. Termites. They're the, they're the fartiest. Really? Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, they produce the most farts. So if you, right. if you see one, stay away. <laughs> well, on my, I am buying this book just so <laughs> just so I can have interesting things to say at dinner yeah. parties. That's all. Exactly. Does want to some small talk? Yeah. This on, is great. On, on that odiferous value. note, I think we might have to. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> okay. I interviewed Mark Lamprell, The Lover's Guide to Rome by Alan and Unwin. And I laughed with Cat Patrick. I am a doodle cat by Scribe. And that takes us out until next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.